Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want us to jump in to a message that's been on my heart that I think um, will, will touch you in, in an important way, um, and not just you, maybe even your children, and that's kind of where the focus I want us to think about just a little bit. Maybe, maybe this will be helpful to you. I hope it does, but I really hope this will be something that impacts your children as well. So I'm going to encourage you, take some notes. There's going to be a lot of scripture today, and you're going to want to grab that to be able to go back and, and dig. I know many of you use your notes on your phone, or some of you grab pen and paper. Either way is fine. Let's, let's jump in. Over the last several weeks, we've been in a kingdom culture series. Y'all appreciate that kingdom, kingdom culture, biblical worldview? Yeah, it was really, really good. And uh, we were basically taking a good, hard look at the way we see things, right? And, and there, there's some times, if, you, if you're not seeing things correctly, they get out of perspective for you. And here's, here's, here's some things that we looked at. If we don't see it the way that God sees it, I won't do it the way God does it, right? If I don't see it the way God sees it, then I'm not going to do it the way that God does it. But it goes on from there. If I won't do it the way that God does it, it won't work the way that it was intended. Y'all follow me so far? Okay, we're going to take it up one, one more notch. If it doesn't work the way that God intended it, it won't accomplish in me what he desires for me. So this idea that we need to make sure we're seeing things the way God sees it really does benefit us. It's not to benefit him because the things that he wants to work in our lives will work for our lives for our betterment. But in order to get there, we've got to see it the way he sees it. If I don't see it the way he sees it, I won't do it the way he does it. If I'm not doing it the way he does it, it won't work the way it's intended. And if it doesn't happen or work the way it's intended, it won't accomplish in me what God desires for me. Do you believe that God's word will accomplish something in your life? Absolutely. If you doubt that, elbow your neighbor and ask them what God's done and his word has done in their life. They could probably give you a long list of those things. Let me show you this in scripture, Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9, and then verse 11. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall, look at this, succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And I need you to understand this, church. Our ability to see and do things the way that God sees and does things does a great deal, has a great deal of impact whether or not we experience the things that God desires for us. Those of us that can say, man, God has done this for me. There's probably been some things that you've done as a result of something you've seen his way. And as a result of seeing it, you did it. As a result of doing it, you experienced it. And you got to see the fulfillment of his desires for you. I'll say it this way. If you want what God wants for you, start doing things the way he says to do them. If you want what God wants for you, start doing the things the way that he says to do them. I have the privilege oftentimes to interact with people at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And and when they come come to me and say, Pastor, can we talk? Can you help me? There's a situation that's going on in my life. Can can you help me? Here's here's what we'll do. Here's, here's, Here's what pastoral care would look like when we sit down. You come and I listen and I try my best to understand and we open God's word and we read God's word on what God's word says for the situation. And then there's a choice that has to be made. You have to decide if you want to address your situation the way scripture says to address the situation. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's painful, but ultimately you get that decision. And those who choose to operate the way God's word says to operate will experience in their situation what God intends for them to receive in that situation. Are you following me so far? All right. I've often hear this phrase in those moments, man, I wish somebody would have told me that sooner. You ever said that before? I wish I would have known that a long time ago. Where has this been? 
right? If I had known this, my life would have been different. How many of you realize something like that in your own life and you're doing your best to make sure your kids know some of those things that you had to learn the hard way in the middle of that? And I've heard Pastor Jacob say it before this way. He says, wisdom is knowing at 30 what most people don't figure out until they're 50, right? What if there was a way we could learn at 20 what most people don't learn until they're in their 40s and we could continue that all the way down? Do you think it's possible that our kids could learn something at their young age that took us almost a whole lifetime to figure out? Do you think that they could learn that there were some things that God says about them and their life that if they would just grab hold of it at a young age, they would be spared from a lot of the stuff that you and I had to walk through? Okay, I'm just gonna talk to the other parents in the room because y'all are with me today in the middle of this. I remember when I became a father how much my life changed. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't just like Tyler, but man, I changed tremendously. I started to think about things in my own life from that perspective. It was no longer just about me. It was, it was about, man, how's this gonna impact my kids? And there was this verse in Deuteronomy that, man, it hit hard once I became a father. And it's Deuteronomy chapter six, verses five through seven. Look at this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Look at this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And I never want my kids to have to learn something later in life that I could have taught them. I just feel like that'd be a derelict of duty to know something about the way God sees, the way his kingdom works, or the way things happen according to the word of God, and then not pass that down to my children, not share that to them, and let them try to figure it out on their own. But I can't teach them, scripture tells us. I can't teach them something that isn't already a part of my own heart. That's the big deal. That's the problem, that's the, that's the challenge. How am I supposed to teach my kids what God's word says about their life if God's word isn't an active part of my own? Right, and if that doesn't motivate you enough, let's keep going just a little bit here. As your pastor, I wanna take advantage of every single opportunity I have to show you truths from scripture, not just so you can apply them to your life, that's great, but I want you to be able to teach them to your Children, how many of you have some dreams for your kids? That they're going to be able to go further and do more and accomplish more in their life. How many of you want to set the, 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 the on-ramp for them in a point where they can just run and go and not have to be so uphill in the middle? I think God puts that on our hearts. And I want us to look at a topic in Scripture today that is of the utmost importance. A topic that God absolutely intends to use to bring about his desire for our lives and one that we can pass along to our children. Are y'all ready? Here, grab your notes. We're gonna talk about money and financial stewardship. We're gonna talk about money today and financial stewardship. And money is very important and a frequent topic in scripture. God gives us a very clear perspective of how to manage our finances. Did you know that there are over 2,400 different references to money in scripture? More than faith and more than love combined. Search through the pages of scripture everywhere that he talks about love, everywhere he talks about faith, and add those together and you're gonna find more in the Bible about money and possessions than you will those two. Matter of fact, 15% of everything Jesus said that is recorded in scripture involved money and possessions. Third, only to talking about his father and the kingdom, Jesus talks in the gospels about money more than any other topic. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And, and it's no wonder. Money's a major competitor of our devotion to God. Matthew 6, you remember? It says you can't serve money and God at the same time. You will serve one 
or you'll serve the other, but you can't do both. Did you know that scripture also tells us that money problems can choke out the fruitfulness of the word of God in your life? I'm gonna show you. This is Mark chapter four, verse 18 and 19. Look at this. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves what? Unfruitful. If we aren't careful, riches will deceive us, and our desire for other things will come and render the word of God that has been planted in our lives null, void, and fruitless. And I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily want that in my life. I definitely don't want the word of God fruitless in the life of my children. Look at this. According to a new study by Ramsey Solution, money fights are the second leading cause of divorce behind infidelity. Ever been in a money fight? Don't raise your hand. You know I'm talking to you. If we don't teach our children how God sees money, then the world will teach them how it sees money. And I'm going to tell you something. The world will teach them to serve money rather than serve God. My challenge is some of us don't even realize the weight that this has and that it puts on us as parents to help others. T. Rowe Price produced their 14th annual Parents, Kids, and Money survey for 2022. And there's some good news in here. It says that parents are still the greatest source of money advice and instruction for kids today. Congratulations, mom and dad. You beat out friends, YouTube, Facebook, social media, TikTok, and all of those things. There's still hope. Your kids still look to you to help teach them about finances and about what God's word says about finances. But here's the problem. The majority of parents today were never taught how to manage their finances by their parents growing up. Let's take a quick poll. How many of your parents taught you how to manage your money growing up? Anybody? Okay, let's put our hands down. How many of your parents did not teach you and you had to figure it out on your own, right? Of those that your parents did teach you about money, how many of them taught you biblical truth about money? I'd venture to say it may be even less than that. Here's the challenge. Here's our problem today. And it's this principle. We have a tendency to shy away from areas where we don't feel successful. And I'd venture to say the reason why your parents, as amazing as they were, and as much as they really did intend to do the best that they could for you, they probably didn't teach you because they didn't feel confident themselves in the way they were handling their finances. Nobody had told them and so it wasn't, they wouldn't feel comfortable telling you. And as a result, this vicious cycle continues. When parents don't feel successful in their finances, they shy away from teaching their children about finances, and the cycle continues. It's a problem because we've got kids who have parents who don't know what this book says about money, and this book has a lot that it wants to say about our finances and how we steward that. My childhood um, was a little unique in that growing up, my mom was a commercial lender um, for the majority of my childhood. She worked at a bank and was responsible for helping people um, with, their, with their finances. She even had a season of life where she, was, uh, she worked for one of those payday loan companies. You know what I'm talking about? She would come home and she would tell me stories of her interactions with people. There, there were people that were paying 30% on $400 that they had to come and borrow before payday because of a flat tire. Because they didn't have the money saved up to be able to handle that emergency. And she said, babe, listen, you gotta understand this. I remember her telling me stories of people that would come and sign over the title to their vehicle to be able to buy a video game console for their kids for Christmas because that's all the money they had in the moment. And if, if you would just let me have this now to get through Christmas, I promise I'll pay it back. Here's the title to my car. That's not a parent that was taught what God's word says about finances. And I was so grateful and thankful that she would share some of those things with me. When I turned 15 years old, I, I like most 15 year olds, I wanted a car. 
Right? I, you remember your first car? I wanted a car, and here was the rule in my household. I had to have a job. And not just have a job, I had to keep the same job for a period of time before I could get the car. Some of your parents wouldn't let you join a sports team and then quit it when things got tough. Mine said, you can't get that job and go change that job and keep changing jobs and keep changing jobs. If you want this car, you better pick a job, stay with it, and and commit to that thing, and then we'll think about letting you drive. I also had to keep my grades up to get my car, and I had to pay for my own fuel. Now, they covered the insurance, but here was the rule in my house. No job, no car. No grades, no car. No fuel, no car. How many of you know I had a hill to climb to be able to get a car in my household? I got my oldest son sitting on the first row here and his jaws on the floor. I'll never forget my very first payday. I was working for a, uh, a baseball-themed motif restaurant, similar to Duffy's, but uh, Home Plate Diner is what it was called. And um, I didn't have a car because I hadn't kept the job long enough. I was still showing myself faithful. And Mom picked me up, and I had my first paycheck. It's like, Mom, it's like 176 bucks or something like that. I'm like, man, I was rich. And I said, hey, how do I get this piece of paper into the green stuff? And she said, hey, don't worry, I got you covered. And we drove across the parking lot into First American Bank. And she took me inside and she made me open a bank account. And she made me take that check and sign the back of it and hand the whole thing to them. And I never got to see a dollar of it. Because she opened me a checking account. And I'm 15. I'm like, what, I, what's a checking account? How do you even have you do Can I have some of it? Like, I got to go to the movies later with some friends. And I've been working. That's, 100, that's more dollars than I've seen in quite some time in one place. Where did you say they're doing with it? And she gave, they gave me this little book. It had all these other pieces of paper in it called a checkbook. And she said, don't worry. You'll write a check when you need to spend money. I said, all right. She said, but... But listen, just because you have checks doesn't mean you have money. So you also have to take this other little booklet called a check register, right? Some of you are just exhausted this far in the conversation. She said, every time you pay somebody something, you have to write it down and do a little bit of math so you know how much money you have in your account. I'm 15 years old, and she's making me keep a checking account. And with that, she added a brand new rule to the you're not going to get a car series here. And it says, if you overdraft your bank account, you will lose your car. All right, tell me how to do that again. How do I do do this? She She then proceeded when we got home to give me a Texaco gas card. So I'm like, all right, all right. And I learned that anywhere that Texaco was on the sign, I could go in and swipe that card, and I didn't have to pay anything for it. And she said, but hold on. You're going to keep all the receipts that they give you. And every Friday, you're going to sit down, and you're going to add all those receipts up, and you're going to write me a check from your checkbook to pay me back for everything you swiped. Man, you can get a lot at a Texaco gas station. I mean, you you can get a lot at a Texaco gas station. 75 cents a gallon, Cole asked me yesterday. How how, how much was gas when you, 75 cents a gallon. The car I had only got like two miles to a gallon, so it's about as much as I'm paying now. Uh, Anyway, what was she doing? she, She was teaching me about credit. She was teaching me how to use that. And if my check didn't clear, she took away my car. I remember going to the movies with friends and they would go to the ticket counter and they would wad up $5 bills and $10 bills and put them on and get their tickets. And I'm over there like, who do I make this payable to? You know, 15 years old thinking, I got to write a checkbook. How is this, how's this going to work? But can I tell you something, church today, I'm so grateful and so thankful for a mom. Kayla's got two hands in the air. For the intentionality, can you say that with me? Intentionality that my mom had 
in teaching me about finances. Years later, I would learn that God's word has a lot more to say about my money than Mama Norman did. And look at this. When I coupled his truth with her intentionality, the stewardship of money has accomplished some amazing things for us in our finances. And I want that for you. I want that for your kids. I want that for your family to come after. And here, I would say it this way. Here's Pastor Don's definition of financial stewardship. If I'll take his truth and add that to my intentionality, I'll end up with good stewardship. His truth, my intentionality, good stewardship. Try your hardest to do everything you know to do and subtract his truth, you will not have good stewardship. Learn everything you can about the way God says money's supposed to work and don't be intentional about keeping up with your finances and you won't have good stewardship. You only get good stewardship when you add his truth and your hard work and your intentionality. That's good stewardship. Are y'all with me so far today? Let's talk just a little bit more because I need you to understand this is not just about you. This is about the generations that come after you. This is about the legacy that you're going to leave behind. I remember when Cole was about five years old, he had started in school to learn about money and count money and quarters and nickels and dimes and, and those kind of things. And we were walking through the hallway or through the, through the aisle and he says, hey dad, can we get that with some toy or something like that? And I remember my mom telling me when I was a little one, she would say, oh, we can't afford that, honey. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. I heard that more than I could imagine. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. And the word started to come out of my mouth to my five-year-old son said, to say, no, son, we can't afford that. And I realized, wait a minute, I can't afford that. Matter of fact, I can afford most of the things that at five years old he wants. The issue is I didn't budget for that. Buying that thing in that moment wouldn't be a wise purchase. And so I tried to explain to my five-year-old as we're walking down Walmart or wherever it was, so we didn't, we didn't come in here intending to buy that. We didn't budget for that. And, and that wouldn't be a wise purchase. And I could just see his brain not working at all. And I thought, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way to help him understand some truth about God's way of seeing and doing resources at five and six years old because I didn't want to wait until he was at high school before I started to teach him some of those truths. So I want to talk to you today, with you today, not as a pastor per se, but as a father. In light of that passage in Deuteronomy, I want to share with you the same way I share with my own children, the way that God sees money and the way that God intends for us to steward our money so that it can accomplish what he intends for us in our lives. Are y'all with me today? Can I do that? How many of you are excited to hear where I'm going to go? Okay. I told you I want to take some notes in this because this is incredibly relevant. I call this the four jars of stewardship. And I have here on this table... Four different jars. And these four jars are how I share what God's truth about finances to my children when they're about five or six years old. So I know some of this is going to be very basic for some of you, but I can't assume that somebody has already told you how God's word says we're supposed to handle our finances. So I'm going to go with this approach. And again, we start when they're about six years old, and I'm now three kids into this, this process. And here's, here's the first three jars. The first, the first jar that we have is a tithing jar. First jar, we have a saving jar for the second. The third one is spending, and the first, fourth one is investing. Tithing, saving, spending, and investing. Tithing, saving, spending, and investing. And remember, I want my kids to learn what God's word says about our finances so that the money he does entrust to them one day can accomplish what he desires for them. Right. This, this says, Pastor, you're doing a great job. Yes. We're following you. And if you're really excited, an occasional amen really gets me going 
a little bit. Thank you. Let's talk, let's talk about the first jar. Let's talk about the tithing jar. There's labels on each of these. Here's, here's what the tithing jar says. Right off the bat, I introduce my children to this scripture from Proverbs. It's Proverbs 3, verse 9. In the message translation, it says this. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Give him the first and the best. Tithing is not something that we do after we've saved. It's not something we do after we've spent. It's not something we do after we've invested. It's not something we look at the end of the month and see what's left over. It is the first and it is the best. That's what tithing is. I go so far with my children as, we've, as they've got dollar bills to shove in the jars and, and all of that. I say, listen, let's find the nicest ones. The crispest ones, the ones with the corners all together, those are the ones that we're going to give back to God. Not the crumpled up ones. We're going to take the best and we're going to give it to him. And here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. This is the money that we return to God because we are grateful that he's given us so much. The way we return money to God is by giving to our church in tithes and offerings. Right off the bat, tithing is an expression of gratitude and thankfulness. Now, there's an entire series of sermons in those two sentences right there, but I need you to understand, this isn't the one where I'm going to unpack fully the biblical priority of tithing from both the New Testament and the Old Testament. I'll do that in a future message, but I need you to understand it's there. And at the bottom of this label on the tithing jar, I leave some instruction, and here's what the instruction says. 10% rounded up goes in here. 10% rounded up goes in here. Now, I know I just lost a bunch of you when I said 10%. You're like, oh, okay, listen, that's okay. I get it. But I want you to start at whatever percentage you can. That's what tithe means, though. Tithe means 10%, right? If it's not 10%, it's not tithe. It it could still be giving and you could still be working toward that. But I need you to understand, when you read in scripture and it talks about the tithe, T-I-T-H-E is 10%. And you may even try to debate me on the existence of the tithe in the New Testament to justify why you don't have to tithe. And I wouldn't argue with you. I just want you to be generous. Can you say that? Generous. Well, Pastor John, what do, you, what do you mean? Can I tell you the tithe is actually a forerunner to a more powerful principle of generosity? The tithe comes first before generosity does. Jesus takes many instructions from the Old Testament and not only carries them into the New Testament teaching, but he adds weight to them. I'll give you some examples. Jesus, in Matthew 5, basically says, hey, you've heard it said, anyone who murders is liable for judgment, right? Then he goes on to say, he steps it up and says, anybody who's angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Here's what he's saying. Murder is wrong and is still wrong, but there's a more weighty principle at work now. Don't just stop at murder. I need you to start working on your heart around anger, in order to get there. We'll go so far. Adultery is wrong, scripture tells us. Jesus steps it up to lust. Anyone who looks upon a woman in an immoral way is guilty of adultery. Those are Jesus's words. Before Jesus came on the scene, adultery was the only thing they had to worry about. Now he's saying, we're going to step it up to a heavier matter of lust. And if you can't get a handle on lust, you're going to have the same judgment come upon you that adultery does it's a heavier and a weightier principle same thing with divorce and sexual immorality divorce was allowed but jesus came and restricted it to the more weightier and only allows divorce on the grounds of sexual immorality jesus more times than not takes an old testament principle and makes it heavier he doesn't do without it he makes it heavier Giving a tithe is what was required. Now the weightier principle is to give generously as a reflection of your heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says this. The point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And look at this. And God is able to make all what? Grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's plan for your finances is not just so that you could give, but that in your giving, grace could come to you and you'd have an abundance for everything he wants for you. If you'll start doing it his way, he'll accomplish the thing that he wants it to accomplish in your life. And I don't want my children to look one day and say, why is this not accomplishing for me the way I think it should work? Because they're not doing it God's way. I want them to see God's way so it'll accomplish for them the way God intends for it to accomplish. All three of these parts are absolutely true. You're no longer commanded to give as if there was some kind of penalty if you don't. But we're not talking about penalty, we're talking about grace abounding, or more importantly, not abounding to you. Here's the second thing, your heart will be reflected by your giving. God, you have my heart, I love you. But this is mine. Okay. Scripture tells us nothing will reflect your heart more than your giving. Also, you will reap according to the amount that you give. That's scripture, that's not me. I'm not up here. Our Savior's church is gonna be fine. We've got some of the most generous people. Tithing is, is they've been tithing for, now we're working on generosity. Our, this is not Pastor Don up here saying, you guys need to give. I'm saying this benefits you and I want your children to understand how God sees it so finances can accomplish, grace can abound, and it will do the thing that he set out to do in your life. Y'all with me? All right, just checking, just checking. I've found that those who struggle with the lighter principle of tithing usually struggle with the weightier principle of generosity. Some of you are doing the math, you say, okay, well that's all I gotta do, I just gotta work it in the budget. And, and 10% and, and do they never have to think about it again? I can automate it and, and all of that. It's not about the obligation. It's about the heart. And it's heavier to go to God and say, God, how much should I be giving? Because he may very well respond to you that it may need to be a little bit more in that moment than just the tithe. That's where generosity kicks in. And then I gotta obey cheerfully to that. I created a tithe jar for my children so that as they grew in their stewardship, we could move up from there and begin to discuss generosity, right? I wanted them to start before they knew any different. This is the way God does it. We started with a tithe jar. I've heard it said, if you can't tithe $5 on 50, then you'll never tithe 500 on 5,000. And if all things are his anyway, and he himself is a good steward, wouldn't he entrust to his children, those that he knew he could get it through them? If God can get it through you, watch him get it to you. That's how it works, I'm just giving you the principle. And whether you're still working up to a tithe or have moved up to generosity, either one requires obedience and seeing it from God's perspective. If you don't see it the way God sees it, you won't do it the way God does it. And if you're not doing it, it's not going to accomplish the thing that God intends for it to accomplish to you. We've got to be able to see it. How many of you are more than ready to move on to the next jar? The next jar is the saving jar. Save. Proverbs 21.20 says this. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever they get. Had a student pastor teach me once. He said, God knows what we'll need and will always provide for us. But sometimes we think that extra money or the unplanned money is reward money and we just go spend it. We just go spend it. And then he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, be careful not to spend the provision before the need arises. Don't spend the provision before the need arises. It is just in the nature and character of God to know what's coming down the road and to prepare you to be able to handle that. But sometimes we have extra left over and we think, oh, this is for me, when he's saying, no, this is for that. 
And we go down the road and the flat tire happens and we wonder, man, I wish I could take those shoes and that outfit back because I'd much rather be able to get to work than to look good when I'm there. But if you put the spending jar in front of the saving jar, God can't help you anticipate what's coming down the road that he sees. He can't provide for you ahead of time. Be careful not to spend the provision before the need arises. All right, those people that are in here going amen, hallelujah, have had a couple flat tires in their life and they understand this principle. Here's the lesson. We save for emergencies and for big things. This is the one jar that can never be empty. Every week, the tithe jar gets empty. Every week. A savings jar is never empty. And here's the instruction. 10% rounded up goes in here. Never empty it completely. We save for emergencies and we save for big things. And we do that after we tithe and before we spend. Y'all follow me so far? All right. Let's look at the third jar. This is the spending jar. Matthew 6, 21. The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Think about that. Here's the lesson. The things we spend our money on shows God others and ourselves what we think is important it's good to spend money and better when you spend it wisely it's good to spend money I want you to spend money I just want you to spend it wisely and how you spend your money will not only tell God what you think is important it'll tell yourself and it'll tell other people what you think is important show me your calendar and your checkbook and I can tell you your priorities that's how biblical finances works. And here's the instruction. The rest of it goes in here so you can learn to make wise decisions. And I'm telling you, there's an entire series of messages just in those two sentences. But essentially, for my children, the spending jar is their jar to learn how to make wise decisions with their spending. Here's what that looks like. If they want to spend it on something silly, we let them. I remember Avery was at the store, dollar store, whatever, wanted to buy a little chintzy little paddle ball, you know, the paddle and the rubber ball, it bounces. It broke in like two minutes. I said, so son, let's talk about that. How much did that cost? Two dollars? It's a lot when you're five. You wish you still had that two dollars? Yeah. Was that a wise purchase or a foolish one? Yeah, it was kind of foolish. Yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of foolish. Let that happen two or three times and your kids will start asking you your opinion about what they're spending their money on because they understand there's wisdom in there. You can spend money on foolish things or you can spend money on wise things. I'd rather them blow $50 unwisely on a toy when they're 10 than have them blow 5000 unwisely on a toy when they're 30. Some of us didn't learn that there was foolish and wise ways to spend our money when we were little. And so we have to figure that out when the stakes are higher, when you've got a family to provide for, and you realize, man, you know what? They won't take that boat back and give me the same amount of money as I bought for it in the middle of that. Don't, I, I like fishing. Let's go. I'm going to go in your boat because I'm not buying one. I had a very wealthy individual tell me once, if it floats as fast, it flies or faces water, lease it, don't own it. I'm going to say that again. Some of you need to write that down. If it floats as fast, it flies or faces water, lease it, don't own it. There's wisdom in there. These things we spend our money on shows God, others and ourselves, what we think is important. This is biblical spending. And we let our kids operate this way for a few years, just the three jars. We do it with them. They don't access these jars by themselves. They don't just go and do their thing and blah, blah, blah. No, they got to come because I'm teaching them the priority of it. Now, I got to keep small denominations on hand because they come home with a $20 bill and I got, we got to break it down and they learn what 10% is. It's $2 and the best $2 goes in the tithe jar first and then there's another $2 that goes in the savings jar and then that leaves them $16 that they get to put in the spending jar. And I don't care how they spend it. 
It's theirs to learn to make wise decisions. And after a few years, it's fun to watch which ones of my children are spenders and which ones are savers, right? I'll pick on Cole because he's in the room. Cole is the most apt to put more in the saving jar than he is in the spending jar. Have you know that's going to fare well for him later on in life? If you see my other two children that are in that room over there, y'all share that bit of wisdom with them. They haven't, they haven't captured that just yet. Once they've gotten the hang of these three jars, we add a fourth jar. And the fourth jar we usually do around 10 years old, and it's the investing jar. And here's the investing jar. Here's the scripture, Proverbs 21, verse 5. Careful planning puts you ahead in the long run. So God's word says about investing. Here's the lesson. Money can make more money for us if we'll invest it and leave it alone. Oh, some of you are doing the investing thing, but you pull it out every day and it's not doing anything for you. You got to put it in and leave it alone. Here's the instruction. This money comes from your spending jar. It's money that you could spend, but you choose to invest it instead. We don't pull money from tithing, and we don't pull money from savings when we invest. And I give them money proportionately to what's in the jar based on how much they decide not to spend and how long they decide to keep it in there. And with the money they get from investing, they treat it just like any other money. A little bit goes into tithing, then the 10% goes into savings, and the rest of that goes into spending. Or they can leave it in there, and it'll be that much more when I come back along to invest in them. Y'all follow me so far? I'm telling you, it's just what God's word says. Do I want this for you? Answer, yes. But who do I really want it for? Your children. I want your children. Let's stop that cycle of not knowing how to help our kids with their finances. Let's get this. Parents, you're the primary source for how your children will learn biblical stewardship. You'll be the one that teaches them and tells them how God sees money and how the Bible instructs us to steward it. You're going to be the one to help remind them that God's plan is to bless them financially, but it involves them first seeing the money is all his to begin with. God is the best steward. And he wants to entrust to you riches that will accomplish things he wants to desire to accomplish in your life. But you yourself wouldn't put resources into a bad investment. I want us to be good investments for kingdom dollars. That God would know, man, if he could get it to me, he could get it through me. Remember our verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 6 through 7? And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You have to get this in your own heart first. That's what I want for you. Your own heart first before you begin to teach it. And listen, I know many of you, nobody's ever told you this before. And you may be sitting there right now saying, man, I wish somebody would have told me this a long time ago. That's okay, that's why we're here. But let's start looking at things from God's perspective. Start looking at him from God's perspective. Let's start doing it his way. Let's get it into our hearts and watch it change a generation to come behind us. Let's watch it change a generation. The enemy wants the wealth in this room to stop in this room. Because he does not want this kingdom-minded group of individuals we have teaching some kingdom-minded next generation on how God intends for finances to happen. He wants to stop it right here and to get you to be quiet when it comes to teaching your children about finances. I've told you several things today. I've told you that his ways are not our ways. It's not intentional, but it's scriptural. It's biblical. We can find it. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You're not going to wake up one day and just think this. You've got to learn from God's word. told you that God has a plan to bless you and to prosper you to give you enough, not only for yourself, but to have enough to be able to give. I've told you today that you can spend foolishly or you can spend wisely. It's good to spend money. I'm not anti-money. I'm anti-foolish spending. I've told you that his word will accomplish what it intends to accomplish you if you'll see it how he sees it, if you'll do it how he wants you to do it. 
you know that all these truths today are in one single passage of scripture? I told you you'd want to take notes. One single passage of scripture today will show you all of this in one place. Look at this, Isaiah 55. I'm gonna read the whole thing, verse one. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know you sh- shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, look at this, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty." but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me today. Nobody looking around, just bow your heads. I want you to listen to two voices. I want you to listen to mine, and I want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you. How would you describe your finances right now? Instead of thorns that invade, do you have the strength of a cypress? Instead of the resistance of briars, do you have the shade and covering of a myrtle? Instead of mountains and hills being obstacles you can't get over, are the financial opportunities you face allowing you to keep up the good work? And I want to encourage you. I know a conversation about money can be heavy, especially if you're discovering that you haven't been stewarding God's resources according to his plan. Maybe you haven't been tithing or even giving for that matter. Maybe you've been spending everything instead of saving Maybe you've been making foolish decisions with how you've been spending what you do have. And maybe this is the first year hearing anything about how God intends us to conduct our finances. So what do I do, Pastor Don? Can I be the first one then also to tell you that the gospel message of redemption can reach all the way, not just into our souls, but also into our wallets. That the message of redemption, that God's ability to take what we didn't know and teach us, to take what little we have and multiply it if we steward it correctly. And I want you to understand the very first step to getting things right with your finances is to get things right in your spirit. It will be very hard for you to have kingdom finances if you don't have a place in the kingdom yourself. Jesus said this, he said, you can't even enter the kingdom, you won't even be able to see it unless you've been born again. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And you may be here today and you say, Pastor Don, I know the difference. I know, I know what's going on. I know why things are in chaos. I'm not doing it his way. But I'm here today and I see it. The Holy Spirit has shown me He started a work in my life and I can see the way that I'm living does not measure up and match up 
to his way. Today, I want to trust him. Today, I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want this in my heart so that it can be something that I teach. I tell you every week, being born again is just like A, B, C. It's A, being able to admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from a righteous and a loving God. Admitting that it is the way it is because you've been seeing it your way and not his way. B, believe that God sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life, who paid a debt you could not pay to give you a life you could not have on your own. Pastor Don, I admit my sin. I believe that God sent Jesus to die for my sin. Because of the blood, I want him to wash me from the inside out. And then see, I'm ready to confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. My giving will reflect my heart. And if God has drawn my heart in, then it should show itself the way I steward my finances. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I'm ready to be born again. It's a moment that happens once in your life. I want to pray with you. And here's how I know that I'm praying with you. I'm going to ask you if you're there. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. But I do want to know who I'm praying with. And if that's you today and you say, Pastor Don, would you pray with me to be born again? I want to ask you from right there where you're seated, lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Go ahead, lift it right now. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Keep them up. Thank you, I see your hand. If you raise your hand, you can put it back down. One more time before I pray. Thank you, I see your hand. One more time before I pray. If you'd like me to pray with you to be born again today, God is showing you something in your life and you're ready to submit and surrender to him. Raise your hand right now so I can include you with those that we're praying. Thank you. I'm going to invite those of you that raised your hand to pray this prayer with me. And I want all of us to pray this prayer and dig of the fact that nobody goes through Christianity alone. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we celebrate with those who raise their hand to be born again?